to be fair, when you come to a devolution show, yes, you're getting vocals, but you are also getting stand up. Yeah. If I'm being that, and I'm not giving you a humble brag there. Like that is the comment that I get most after a devolution gig, and even after I did my solo gig at the, at the Palace last year. The thing is, almost like my friends are surprised that I'm funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to In The Frame. Today's guest is the incredible Sejal Keshwala. So Sejal is currently preparing to play Ray when everybody's talking about Jamie returns to the West End, having played the role prior to the pandemic. Just a few of her other credits include Anita and Me at the Birmingham Rep, uh, Trident Moon at the Fimbra, and My Fair Lady at St. Paul's Church. Back in 2015, Sedril was nominated for West End Frames Understudy of the Year Award for covering Pinky in the West End production of Bend It Like Beckham. It was such a pleasure to chat to Sedgel. I found myself totally engrossed when I listened back to our chat this week. She's absolutely incredible and there's so much to take away from all the different stories and, and things she has to say. Here's the interview. Sedgel Kashwala, hello, you're in the frame. Oh my God, hey. <laughs> <laughs> How the hell are you? How are you doing? Where is your brain at right now? What gear are you in? What's happening? Do you know what? I'm actually doing okay. You've caught me on a good day, I tell yes. you. It's been really up and down, hasn't it? I think especially this this lockdown 3.0, um, I think was particularly hard. January was just the longest month of all of our lives, I think. It was really bleak. I think it's because, I think kind of from, from from like the 27th of December to the end of January felt like one long month. And I think that's why it felt so long. Mm. Um, I'm doing much better now because I work better with dates. And I think that's what I found hard at the beginning of this year. It just, it felt very endless um, to the point where I was making shit up. Like I put pancake day, uh, pancake day in my diary as like a milestone as a reason to put on jeans and hoops do you know what I mean so I think now you know even though I know any dates we get from the government nothing can ever be 100% certain but I was like it just helps my brain mm. to have certain things to work towards um so I'm actually doing okay because of that good and I mean it's so hard for all of you who are in Jamie because obviously you got to go <sighs> back and then how many shows did you do in the end was it like one or two or three we actually did four because it was a double show weekend so we opened on a saturday and we did two saturday two sunday and then monday and tuesday were our days off and then the lockdown came in on the wednesday so yeah we basically did four shows so you got like a it was a slice a tiny reminder a massive reminder i imagine they were so emotional and so yeah. amazing of what you do and i'm sorry we're taking it away again i mean second time round is almost maybe harder yeah, I think it was. Um, it, yeah, it, I think it was. I think I think the come down was harder because because we had a bit of a taster and because, you know, things had. I know things weren't completely back to normal, but things had started to open up. We could go to a restaurant, and 
you know, there was bits of live music, live entertainment happening. And I was in Soho. I was in Soho every day. And even though some things were closed and it wasn't completely the same, I did get a taster of life happening again. And then just, I think it was just going cold turkey because as they did for the whole of 2020, it was, you know, the government were like on Monday, great, it's going to be locked down from Wednesday. And mm. you just don't have any time to prepare for it. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it was really, um, I just can't tell you how up and down it was. But I think what it's now done is, um, I don't know if you agree with this, but I feel like in the first kind of six, seven months of, of Rona, everybody was absolutely desperate to get back to real life and to get back to work and to see people. Whereas I kind of feel like the past six months, it's, the energy's changed a bit. And certainly a lot of my friends, I feel, have now have social anxiety and are almost, scared and wary of getting back to normal and so I think that when when we went back in December we were still in that kind of mode of excitement whereas now a lot of people you know because people are roughly being told oh you might get back to work in September or July or whenever that there there's excitement but there's also a there's a fear because the, people have gotten used to just being in their houses and not seeing anyone and not mm. working Mm. Um, whereas I think for me, because I've already done it once in December, it doesn't feel as daunting. Mm. The idea mm. of going back and things opening up, it doesn't feel as, but in the, in, in the same sense as it's not, it's not as daunting. It's also not as exciting because I feel like once we've done a week's run, I'll believe, I'll believe that I can just settle into it and relax. Whereas at the minute, it's almost like I can't get too excited, but I, I'm also not scared. Yeah, I, I know, I'm in a I'm in a weird no man's land of no emotion about it. I know way. what you mean. Well, coming out of that first lockdown, I thought I was going to be that person. I felt really nervous and scared about doing things again and socialising. And, and I was like, you know what? I want this more of a work-life balance and more time for myself. And then fast forward, I'm like at the theatre every night, seeing people for dinner, taking on too much work. And, and you know, I was having all those issues I was having before, like I'd learned nothing. <laughs> totally. It's, it's almost like, you know, it's things go back to normal straight away. It's like you have... a one taster of going to a restaurant or one taster of seeing a friend and then you forget what it's like to be in lockdown mm. so it's 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 almost like one extreme or the other i actually do feel like when things when social distancing is you know rip um <laughs> i think what i think a lot of us will almost forget how that felt yeah you know? It'll be so alien. It'll be so alien to the lives that we go back to. And also, I think so much has changed. So we're not just going to go back to being February 2020. We're going to go into no. a very different kind of life because we've made new friends and we have managed to meet new people or people, you know, things have, so many people, people have moved away. Just so many, like, circumstances have changed. Life is going to be different. Yeah, totally. And I think maybe we're more understanding that rather than being like, oh, we'll just pick up where we left off. It's just... It's happened and you have some lovely new credits on your CV and you've done some different bits of pieces. Yeah, do you know what? Like, it's it's been such a such a difficult time for so many people. Um, but I do feel lucky. I, I, I think I'm in I'm in a very small category of people who are over over this past year still being connected to a show, but I've had free time. So what I've been able to do is do stuff that I wouldn't have been able to do if we weren't in, in Corona times because I would have been doing, everybody's talking about Jamie, eight shows a week. Mm. Whereas I've had 
the luxury of time while still being connected to the show. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I realised that I was in a very, very fortunate position um, in that sense. And I also have taken this year to be the most proactive I've ever been. And I think that's for several reasons, but I just don't... I think this time has made me realise that you really do have to, in some ways, make your own work. But also, you can't just expect people to know who you are. People aren't just going to knock on your door and ask you to be in this concert or to be in this show or to come and do, you know, whatever. So I have been really, really proactive and for the first time, not embarrassed and just confident about emailing people and contacting people myself, whether that be producers or musical directors Mm. and saying hi this is who I am um I you know I'm currently or was in Jamie um I would be really interested in doing any projects that you might have coming up here's my website here's a link to some of my stuff if you're not familiar with me um I would love to work with you um and also for me you know it's I think I've been very inspired by um the Black Lives Matter movement um, and just a lot of the talk about representation in this time, because I think my community, which is the South Asian community, almost just as a culture, we just we can be a bit quiet. Mm. And, you know, we are the largest minority community in, in, in the UK by double. And that is not reflected in entertainment. And it's really, really not reflected in theatre. So and I think for the first time, I don't feel embarrassed I should never have been embarrassed but I don't feel that at all now in speaking up and saying you know I actually am one of the only people of my ethnic background that is Mm. working in this industry um and who's actually lucky enough to be playing a, a, a part a lead in a show please use me because there are lots of people out there like me who don't get the call and unless unless we see our faces on posters and um yeah you know it's it's, it's important so i on think social media, yeah. yeah like yeah unless you see us on social media and you know when concerts get announced and you see our name we need to we need to see our name in lights we need to see our faces on posters that's the only way there's going to be a change um as much as it's lovely you know having us as being third turban from the left um you know it's, it's actually more important that we're at the forefront so mm. i think i've just been very proactive in kind of getting myself out there and contacting people Mm. that's important I mean I think in terms of representation that almost comes back to what I was saying about how we're not just going to rewind to February 2012 February 2012 gosh that would be very frightening to February 2020 um it's it's going to be hopefully we have learned a lot so we can move forwards and we'll see some really positive changes within theatre and within the world I hope so it really um it almost surprises me, though, to hear you saying about how you feel like you weren't someone who would put yourself out there. Because when you look at, when I kind of look at the things you've done, you're not you're not someone who's managed to just, you know, like jump from West End show to West End show. But you've always been working. No. You've always been putting yourself out there. I, I, as far as I kind of thought, with Devolution doing a launch concert and a relaunch concert, another relaunch concert, yeah. and all these projects and singing backing for so many people. You're someone that I really kind of respect because you're so talented and 
when I, I was seeing men like Beckham and Unstudy the Year and all that kind of stuff that I've that I've kind of seen happen over the years. Um, you're someone who I think I'm like, right, she she means business. Like she is she's making things happen for herself. So it's really interesting for me to hear you kind of say that you've maybe in the past been too shy to put yourself forward or to speak up and stuff. Yeah, that's interesting because actually when you when you start listing things there are certain things that I am proactive about but they're things that I feel I have a bit more control over so with devolution you know it's something that 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 we are passionate about and we we have a control over it and I think I'm good at using my skills in that way and sometimes when you've made a connection whether that be you know with 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 a session singing agency or, or or with certain MDs or certain producers you you when you form a relationship with them, it's a bit easier to have that conversation. And I know they'll call me up for stuff or I can then, if I know that they're doing something, I can email them about it. But I think what I've been doing this past year is is contacting people that I don't know, mm. producers I don't know and MDs I've not worked with. And I think in the past, that's what I would have not had the confidence to do. Um, and I don't know, something has just, something's clicked for me this year. It's It's, it's probably a combination of, of corona times you know my age and just being a, a bit a bit older a bit more experienced um yeah I don't know I, but there, there has been a shift there yeah. has been a bit of a shift yeah that's really cool that's exciting as well and you make it's really important right some people are too polite and in this industry you do need to be putting yourself out there I guess and being yeah. unapologetic about that but what would you I mean what would you kind of say to people who when maybe when they come out of their first best end show or when they suddenly do find themselves with that gap how have you managed to then navigate that way forward because I feel like you're the kind of person maybe who like knows what you want to do or like, do, do, you know what you're passionate about you you've got an incredible voice you want to be singing you want to be doing stuff that you want to you know yeah. get fulfillment from I think it's um I I personally think it's always good to have something that you enjoy that is creative that you that can ideally make you help you make money um that you have a bit of control over outside of auditioning for stuff a because it this is as as much as we love what we do this is it, it's our job and it's an industry and sometimes it can take a little bit of the joy away from it and that doesn't mean that's permanent, but so I, I've always felt like it's important for me to have something on the side that I have control over, that I enjoy doing, that, that keeps me creative. And for me, I've always known that I, you know, I, I did a music degree before I went to drama school. So I know I've always been very musically minded and I've always enjoyed doing vocal arrangements. I've always enjoyed session singing. I know I'm good at it because I'm a sight reader. So, um, and I always, you know, even before I went to drama school, I always sang with function bands. So I knew that that was something that I could always try and push um, as a way of me, you know, keeping creative, but but making money. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just something that I had to rely on and had to push because I haven't walked from job to job when it comes to acting. Um, you know, there was there was four, I think, four years between me kind of doing my first Western job and my second Western job. Um, so that would be my advice to people, even if it's, yoga teaching or if it's teaching of any kind um or even actually if it's not related to the arts if you have a skill somewhere else that you have something that you enjoy doing I think just dedicate a bit of time to it because it's good as well as as well as the bank balance it's just it's good for your brain mm, absolutely absolutely tell me about how you um 
I don't want to be too cheesy, like, found your voice. But, uh, <laughs> but you have a, such an incredible voice. When I came to, I think I came to Demolition, the relaunch. Uh, was that one at the other palace? Yeah. Yes. In the main theatre. And I was, I mean, I knew you could sing. I knew you were amazing. But that was, I was kind of swept away and, and silenced. And, you know, oh, it was it was insane. The, what the three of you do, if anyone doesn't know your voice or doesn't know devolution they need to press pause in this podcast to get onto youtube immediately <laughs> and do some research um but you have you know an insane voice and you can do ridiculous things and do raspy stuff and riffy things and you know make me feel a little bit sick thinking about it now but what were you <laughs> how did you find your voice how did you kind of like what were your inspirations and when did you kind of realize okay this is something that i'm gonna do to then go and do a yeah. music degree it's been a really up and down journey with my voice. I kind of grew up, I guess when I was really, really young, I grew up listening to Bollywood, which is very, um, it's all very soprano, a lot, lots of melisma. Um, so that's kind of what I grew up listening to as a kid. Um, but then kind of my idols growing up were, it was you know, Mariah, Whitney, Celine, mm-hmm. um, Shaka Khan, Aretha. It, you know, it was, it was all your big soul diva voices. Um, but the funny thing is, I actually didn't really sing like that because I'd listened to Bollywood and also because I was a classical singer. I used to have singing lessons, but it was all classical. So I had this um, this very falsetto sound. So when I moved to having a singing teacher who was more musical theatre and pop, he literally taught me how to belt. He taught me what chest resonance was. Um, so whilst, you know, while I could always riff and I always had a big range it was but my voice was very soft um and then he opened up it was Kevin Fountain do go to him for singing lessons he's fantastic um (laughs) he kind of opened up this voice but for me I think I spent a good 10 years I'd say from like 15 to 25 really really not liking the sound of my voice wow and I think that came from I feel like, and this might not be everybody's experience, but particularly in musical theatre, they like a pure sound. They like a pure bell-like voice. And my voice isn't that. Um, My voice is very versatile, um, which is actually another thing which I used to struggle with, which I I now know is a strength, is I can sing most styles. I can sing most styles adequately, which is another reason why I enjoy session singing. But what people want in, often want in musical theatre is this pure bell-like sound. And I don't have that. My voice is naturally a bit raspier and I don't sound like anyone else. And for years, I struggled with that. Whereas now I actually love that about my voice. But it's something that I found is really celebrated in the in the pop world and in the session world. Um, whereas in musical theatre, I feel like it's really hindered me. Um, or sometimes the problem can be, I find with me, is whatever someone has heard me sing first, they think that's what I do. So if you've heard me sing an R&B song, they think I'm an R&B singer. If they've heard me sing classical, they think I'm a classical singer. People try to box you. Um, and that's what I really struggled with, especially when I was younger, because why can't I sing it all? Yeah, there are certain things that I probably excel at, and I know what those things are. But I think that that has been my my struggle. I think certainly in my late teens and my 20s, um, I felt like I was always trying to change my voice to fit whatever I was 
auditioning for or trying to work for. Mm. Whereas now I'm like, my voice is my voice. If you are hiring me as a session singer, then I can give you whatever you want. You want me to sing a rock song? I can do that. You want me to do something with no vibrato? I can do that. If you want me to give you classical, I can do that. Whereas if I'm auditioning for a musical, I can absolutely sing it in the correct style, but add my own flair. But if I'm if I'm singing in a concert or if I'm singing with Devolution, it's part of the reason why we started Devolution, because we were like, we just want to sing how we sing and not be told to change how that is to fit a show. Um, I, I, I feel like I've, I've completely gone off the tangent of what your question oh, was. But so this, is, this is the Tangent Theatre podcast. We're, we're, I'm going to rename it because that's <laughs> what I do with everybody. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, so I feel I feel like it's been really up and down, and there was a time where I really didn't like, really didn't like the sound of my voice because it because it wasn't this pure bell like. So when thing. did you? When was it that you accepted it? That you were you did have that switch to being proud of it? What made that happen? Do you know what? If if I'm completely honest, I think it was only a few years ago. I actually think it was around around my thirties, um, when I. After Bendit Lie Beckham, again, I, you know, I struggled to to kind of get a, a musical theatre job after that. I did a couple of plays which were wonderful, but I kind of got back into gigging more and doing session work. And I started um, singing with um, Rogue Symphony, who were putting on, it was basically a lot of like classic hip, hip hop and R&B albums, doing a full album live with an orchestra. Mm. And it was kind of doing that where I was able to just kind of explore my voice a bit. And and the reason that I think they used me then for most of their shows was because I had this really individual sound. I didn't sound like anyone else, but then I could also, I could also switch my voice that I could rap. Mm. I could give them, I could give them a bit of Beyonce. I could give them Nicki Minaj. I could give them Lauren Hill. I could give them Aaliyah. Um, I could give them Whitney, but I was still Sedgel. Mm. My voice was still me, but I could switch to the different styles. And it was at that point that I was a bit, I, I think I fell in love with my own voice, as wanky as that sounds. <laughs> um, Good. And I, th- and I think that married with doing devolution, where we are so unapologetic with how our voices are. Like, this is how we sing and this is what we're going to do. So I, I actually think for me it came at about about twenty nine thirty. Wow, wow, that's in. That, I think that was. A, I think that really surprised a lot of people to hear that, wasn't it? Because you're literally from doing a music degree to then training to then going on and working for so long, but, but feeling like that. I kind of hope that musical theatre is going a direction now. I mean, some people almost moan about it, how lots of new writing it is about who can have the most different voice or who can do this ridiculous yeah. thing. And some people see that as a as a negative, but it's true, a lot of new writing is like that. And I think it's exciting. And hopefully maybe we are able to even more now encourage new voices to come through. But we saw this massive issue with putting people in a box and, and casting directors and agents and everybody just stereotyping people for one kind of thing yeah it's 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 completely a thing um and you know as, as soon as you play a comedy role it's you're a character actress and that's what you do and then it's so hard to get seen for a, a romantic lead um but I, I i personally don't understand it you know it, it, it's the same with you know pe- people often ask me like you know do you want to act or do you want to sing and i'm like both 
I don't want to just be a singer for the rest of my life. I also don't want to just be an actress for the rest of my life. Why can't I do both? Why can't I do musicals and plays and TV and session singing and be a singer-songwriter? Like, why can't I? If I have the skills to do all of them, then then why not? And I think mm. I think the problem is that people really, really, really do try and box you, mm. which is why it's important to create your uh, create your own work as in 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 areas that you can. You know, I'm not in a position to be able to produce a big musical. That's not something I can do. That is something that I have to audition for and work for and make those, um, build those relationships with those casting directors and producers. And eventually, as they get to know me more, they will, their um, idea of what I can do will broaden. So I don't have as much control over that. But in the meantime, what I can be doing is doing devolution shows and putting on my own concerts and, you know, doing going to um, acting for screen classes and, you know, do, doing bits, doing bits on my own that are actually feeding, feeding my own desire and um, using my skills. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me, um, let's talk about devolution because okay. I <laughs> adore the three of you so much. Like I said, I came to that concert not really knowing what I was in for. <laughs> was that was, the first time you'd seen Devolution? That was the first time I'd properly seen the three of you, like live. Yeah, I'd never seen yeah. you perform live before. I'm sure I'd seen videos and stuff, but I guess when you were in live in the room, you can feel the energy and the humour, and that's what it's all about. There's all these things that come together. It's more than just three people singing, right? There's a lot, no, there's a lot to it. It's like a I'd brand. say like I'd say fifty percent of of it is is our chat. Yeah. You know, the it, three it, it of you really should have like is. a podcast, like a devolution podcast or a vlog or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Please. That would be great. <laughs> But you were you that was that was your relaunch as the evolution right so what was your what was your previous name and how did how did you how did you start out and you've got funny stories right of how you all wanted to do this you were ready to commit and go accept a big uh, contract working abroad somewhere and then boom one of you would get a job or both of you would get jobs or you've had lots of stuff like that so basically kind of after no actually it was before even before I did bend it I um so I struggled after drama school. I graduated in 2010 and I didn't book um, Bend It, I don't think, until it was around November, December 2014. So it was right. basically four, five years until I booked my first job. Um, and so in that time, I was doing what I know. And that was, you know, you know, trying to sing with function bands. And in that time, I started a girl group. And that was kind of my first taster into how to run a band and doing vocal arrangements. And, um, you know, it kind of, that, that it didn't work out with me running the group with who I did that, that with. But after that, I kind of, after Bend It, I was very much um, like, I'm ready. I'm ready to do my own group. I've kind of done it once and I know now how to do it and what I want to do and the things that I think are important for me putting together a group and so I told Laura because she was you know my best friend um we we've known each other since high school we know each other's voices um and I was like would you be interested in being in it and she was like yeah I'd actually like to kind of run it with you and I was like great I was like I want it to be a three-piece 
And I was like, let's have a think of who the third person could be. And she was like, I've got, I've got the suggestion. And she'd just done um, a contract on a cruise with Lisa. And she was like, her voice is perfect to kind of compliment us. Um, and so kind of that was the start of it. And um, we called ourselves Sapphire Soul back then. Um, and we were Sapphire Soul for a few years. Um, until basically we got contacted by this management team who had an artist on their books who was a kid called Sapphire. But she had like, some of her videos on YouTube had like millions of views. And they were basically like, we trademarked Sapphire within the entertainment industry. You need to change your name. Otherwise, we'll take you to court, basically. And we didn't take it that seriously at first because we were like, right, we are three women in their 30s or late, it might have been late twenties at the time, who sing covers and do some cruises. What like we are not the competition of this wannabe teenager pop star who has millions of views. Like it, we're so not the same product. Yeah. yeah. So we kind of ignored it and we said that. And then basically over time, they were just kind of we were getting more letters from them. And we spoke to a few people and we were like, we could try and fight this in court. But we had £11 in our current, you know, in our joint account. So I was a bit like, do you know what? I just think it's probably going to be easier and cheaper for us to just change our name. And actually, once we then surrendered to that, I, you know, we kind of realised that I actually think this is a good thing. Because as much as at the time we liked the name Sapphire Soul, we would often get confused for a Motown band. Right. And I kind of understood it from the name. And I was like, "What? Well, we're not Motown. We're not giving you Diana Ross. We're not yeah. giving you a soft vocal. Um, so we were like, let's take this time to just embrace embrace the change. Um, and then we can like do a big relaunch. But it was actually really, really hard to come up with a, a new name. Um, and I think it might have been, I feel like it might have been Nick Finlow who suggested devolution. But I always liked the word diva. Yeah. Um, because I do think it it represents kind of our vocal stylings, and the, and diva covers all genres, whether that be something more classical, a pop, musical theatre, R and B, soul. It covers everything, and we and we we do all of that. Um, and I think with the three of us, again, we kind of have we all do it all, but we have our own strengths. Um, and so we just thought actually devolution covers all of that. Um, so actually, I think it actually turned out to be a blessing that that mm. happened. And then we, you know, we were able to then do, uh, uh, you know, another big concert at the other palace, which is the one that you came to and kind of just reestablish ourselves. Um, because it had also been the case that, you know, when we started out at Sapphire Soul, we did, we did our first kind of big concert at the, at the Hippodrome. We got a cruise agent. We booked in like 10 cruises for the year. And then I booked Bendit. Lisa booked Priscilla. And so it was that classic thing of, we'd, you know, we'd been out of work. We created this work for ourselves. And then we all went and booked West End or shows and UK tours. Um, so, you know, just kind of reestablishing ourselves in London with devolution was actually a really great thing mm. for us. Mm. And is there more to come? Is that is that you got big plans and stuff, stuff coming up after this time? <laughs> Hopefully, we've kind of taken this year as a bit of downtime um, because, you know, the girls, but the other two girls have moved away from London. Um, 
or Lisa's a bit back and forth, but Laura's moved away. So we've actually physically not been together to even do an online concert or anything in this time. Mm. Um, but we will be doing, I think our first official thing back will be a West End Live Lounge, um, right. which is happening at the Lyric Theatre, um, which we've been a part of since it, you know, since Sean first started it at the Union. So that'll be like a nice little wee taster back. But I think... We we haven't got anything definite in the pipeline, but I would love for us this year, um, to maybe towards the end of the year, to kind of do a, another big a big gig. I think it's time. It is time. It's time. I saw. I'm sure I saw something on social media where like it's almost time for another relaunch because it's been so long. Or yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk about Men Like Beckham because that was a big moment. Yes. You booked your yes. first. West End show several years yeah. after graduating. Yeah. And then you were covering you were covering Pinky and then you got like thrown on pretty early, right, into the run. Yeah, in previews. So suddenly here you were going on for a principal role, which I guess is something that you always wanted to do, but maybe those weren't the circumstances you envisaged doing it in. But what no. when you look back now at that experience, was that uh, a whirlwind were you learning lots did you feel like you were really ready for it what was happening do you know what I think that year for me on Bendit was it was um up and down I think I think the theme of this podcast is up and down <laughs> um but it it's was real it's real know, yeah yeah it was um it was in some ways it was the best times and it's, there were really hard times on it as well but I think because I'd have so many friends in the industry and friends who'd worked I felt like I and I already knew kind of the ins and outs of doing a show and I did but I hadn't experienced it myself so I think when I when I did that show I felt like I was very experienced but I wasn't compared to how I think now and how I work now um and how I approach things now is very different um but it was a really magical time you know to be in an original cast of something is a completely different experience because it is very creative um and for me obviously that film is so iconic um and you know really formed a lot of my childhood um and was a the biggest representation um i saw of my culture and and just being british asian mm. so that you know that film was huge um and so then to then be in the musical version of it it was you know i couldn't have asked to be to be in a in a more life-changing show in that sense. Um, and also for me, growing up, I didn't have a lot of Asian friends. I grew up in very white areas and I also gravitated more to um, actually white and black culture for whatever reasons. Um, and so when I started Bend It Like Beckham, suddenly I'd met this pool of people who were like me because they were South Asian and British but they thought like me because they were creative because they mm. were actors and I'd never had that before um, so in that sense it was a really important job for me yeah. um, and I've made friends for life from it um, who who are like me mm. and I just didn't have that growing up um, and in terms of kind of what I learned as a performer what I learned was that eight shows a week is hard work <laughs> hard 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 work because you know I I 
I'd done singing with function bands and, you know, I was singing Aretha and I could sing Whitney and, you know, I could sing really hard stuff, but you're not doing it eight shows a week. Mm. You're probably doing it, you know, over Christmas or like wedding season. You're probably doing it four or five times a week. Doing something eight shows a week is vocally grueling in a different way. So I think it was a real learning curve for me in terms of stamina and what it means to be in in a long running show. Um, But I think for me, it also solidified where my skills lie and what I am happy doing. And I'm really glad that I got the experience to cover and be in an ensemble and know what that means and know how hard that is. But I've also learned that I don't think that that's where my enjoyment lies and that it uses my skills um, because I had to do a lot more dancing than I would want to do because I'm not a dancer. I didn't grow up dancing. Um, And whilst I was able to do it in a show like that, I found that hard. Mm. Um, You know, my my skills lie in acting. I'm an actress Mm. um first and foremost um and so when I did go on for Pinky it was magical I felt it was like one of the best nights of my life and I was I was thrown on um what happened what happened that day like how did you how did you find out that you were going on that first time it was I think it it was a Saturday it was a double show it was a two-show day yeah so I got the call at like half 10 11 I then literally went into the theatre straight away because I didn't have that much time. Luckily, I knew the script pretty well, I think, at this point. Um, And so I went in, tried on my costumes because I'd never tried them on. Um, I spoke through my scenes with the resident, but the the main thing I needed to run through, which I had had no idea what the track was, was in Act 2 there was the big wedding sequence. Yeah. I don't know if you remember it, but it was like, it was full choreography, but then there were scenes happening with it. And it was like this 20, 30 minute sequence. And I was like, I do, and I'm at the front of it because it's my wedding. So for me, it was just kind of, kind of running through that. And then I remember being in the wings, particularly for the act two scenes. And like, before we, I'm going on for this scene with the family, Tony, who was playing the dad, was telling me what the blocking was in the wing before we went on because we didn't have time to run everything in warm-up. So it was a mental day, but I thrived on it. I absolutely thrived on it. And what was wonderful, um, and actually was a bit of a blessing, because I went on in previews and because we hadn't done any cover rehearsals yet, I kind of got to do what I wanted in terms of my character choices. So I didn't, I didn't do exactly what... Uh, Priya did who was playing it and also because it was we were still in previews and it was a brand new show all the creators were in watching Mm -hmm. so they all got to see me they all liked what I did and it meant that I then moving forward didn't have to do a carbon copy Mm. Um, so it was actually a really creative process and also the other lovely thing was that I ended up doing about I think I did about five or six shows you know, it wasn't just one day that she was off. She was off for nearly a week. I it was quite a big kind of news story or it was quite it was quite big on social media. I remember being quite like a big thing at the time. Yeah. I think because it was, um, because I was the first person person to go on and it was because it, it was so early. It was a know, new we show. Everyone wanted to know what was going on, what it was like. Yeah. All eyes were on Bendit Like Beckham. Right yeah. So it was, I do remember being 
really, really nervous to the point where I didn't eat. I remember my company manager, I was like, can you just get me some sushi? And she bought me sushi and I didn't even eat it. And if you know me, that is not like me. <laughs> um, but I'm glad I got to do two in that in that day because I was like, the first one was a blur. Um, but actually, I got to do a run of about five or six. And then I was on a lot throughout the whole year. I actually did the whole final week of the run. Wow. I ended wow. it. I ended the show with it as well. So um, it was it was it was amazing. But I remember on um, when I went on in previews, I knew what was going to be my last day because which was I, th- I think it was a Wednesday because on the Thursday they were having the official photos being taken because this was literally now a couple of nights away from press night. So I was like, I know she's going to be back for the photos. So I knew that that Wednesday night, I think it was, was going to be my last. I remember doing the quick change and getting into the wedding stuff and my, um, my dresser and my wiggy were there and I was crying. I was crying like someone had died because I was like, I don't want to go back to doing my, my ensemble track. I just want to do this forever. And she was like, "You'll get to do it again. Don't worry." And obviously, I went on loads, but that's I was it was dramatic. I was being dramatic. I was crying mm. like a baby because I was just like, "This is what I'm meant to be doing," and I really enjoyed it. And not that I didn't appreciate being in the show, just in my ensemble track, but I felt like I wasn't using my skills. Whereas when I was playing Pinky, I was like, "This is what I want to be doing." And so I made the decision after that that I don't want to cover. I don't want to cover anymore. Unless it was something that I really, really, really felt was benefiting me or it was a dream show and I felt it was my only way in, then I'd maybe consider it. But I kind of have stuck to that since. Um, and, yeah, I think that's what I learned from that from that experience. Yeah. Well, yeah, you came out of it and you could have knew, I guess, quite more clearly what you wanted to do and what you're willing to sacrifice and the direction yeah. that you were going to head in. Yeah. Which, which you have, which you kind of then have. Then coming on, now you're playing Ray and we've done lots of different you know lots of different things along the way and I guess as well maybe potentially turn down certain opportunities and maybe had the yeah. balls to say no and that's quite a big thing right because you think you're told you have to say yes 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 and you have to take every opportunity and you never know what you're going to miss out if you don't do it so to say no to something goes against all that advice and all what you kind of think you have to do when you're when you're starting out which is kind of a weird lesson to learn I guess yeah totally you know obviously with Bendit I was going to take whatever I was offered because it was my first job yeah but already after that I was like you know I completely respect actors who just want to be jobbing actors and want to be in work I completely respect that but I was like that's not that's not the path for me what I want and what I've always been very clear with you know when I've signed with an agent is I want a career what I want to be forging out is a career I don't want to just be booking work um and I want to be using my skills and I don't think my skills lie in, in doing that. And also it doesn't, it doesn't fulfill me. Um, so there 100% is power in saying no. And, and I still say, say no now. Um, if I go in for, cause sometimes when you go in for a first round for a big audition, um, actually it was for, for, for Frozen. Um, they called me in and I said, you know, what am I in for? Because I won't cover. Um, and they were like, you know, we're not sure at this first stage, just come in. So I went in and I did a first round and then they wanted to recall me for a cover. And I, I said, no, for cover Elsa. Um, because that's just not where I am right now in my life and mm. my where I want to be in work. Whereas five years ago, th- that might have been the perfect, perfect thing for me to, to go and cover in. Mm. Um, so there's definite power in saying no. Mm. 
Oh, I'm just thinking about what we missed out on seeing as you as Elsa. We need to like paint you green and see his alphabet, please. <laughs> Do you know what? It's Wicked is another one where it's it's, it's become a bit of a of a love and hate relationship. But I think again, it it it's, it's harder with these long running shows because they are they can get very set in their ways of how they want parts being played, how they want them sung. And there's often not any creative input. You know, it's this is where you stand. This is how you sing it. This is how the line is delivered. And that, you know, for some shows, it is literally like that. For some shows, there's a bit of leeway. But, you know, for Wicked, I actually, I've been in for it for a few times a while ago. But I then did a a little workshop with, um, with Petra, who is... I want to say the resident on it. Or? Yeah, I think she's resident director. She, yeah, Alice Fem was like yeah. talking, telling a story about her the other week. Yeah, I think she's resident director. Yeah, yeah. and I, I did this workshop with her um, and straight away afterwards, I called my agent at the time and I said, can you get some feedback? Because if I am not the right voice type or what they are looking for for an alphabet, I I don't want to go in anymore. Let, let's leave it for a few years. And that's kind of the feedback that I got. And I was like, do you know what? Let's leave it. Because... Already on a show like that, it's a hard thing. It doesn't have an alternate, which I've never understood. I've never understood it. But I was like, I'm already having to change my voice so much to try and get the sound that they want. For me to do it how they want, could could I even do that eight shows a week? And actually, I even said it then at that workshop. I was like, yes, Elphaba would be wonderful. And for me growing up, that was a character that I would have be my absolute dream to play because I feel like I was her she was me but I was like already five six years ago I was giving it but the character I want to play is Glinda I've always wanted to be Glinda because I feel like I have the funny bones to do it I'm the right height for the bubble I'm a classical singer I was like why can't I be Glinda and at that time it wasn't even a discussion so he did like, say the casting it, brief was it had to be a white actress, right? They yes. did say that until literally yeah. until we had amazing Brittany Johnson on Broadway, who yeah. was the first black Glinda. Now they've kind of changed it, right? Yeah. So I was like, even then I was like, if Glinda's not even on the cards, and I know I don't think I'm, unless they b- b- broaden their minds a bit, I'm not quite what they want for Elphaba, let's leave it. And I, I was like, let's get off that train. So it'll be interesting now coming out of this, this everything that's happening this year and the yes. conversations that are happening, I don't see how they can't be more open-minded mm. now. Um, because I want to be, I want to be Glinda. I'm putting it out there. Yes, I want that to happen. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, absolutely. I really hope so. I really hope with the conversations we're having, we're more open-minded, well, not with casting directors and producers are more open-minded with who they're casting and, and breaking away from what they've done before. And also that, you know, these shows have all been closed for a year and a half or whatever. So hopefully they, they're able to reconsider a few things and freshen it up and to yeah. be open-minded to just different choices and different voices. 100%. You know, like, I've never been seen for Lamers in 10 years. 10 years since graduating, I've never been seen. There's never been anybody who looks like me in that show. In And that show is my age. <laughs> you know, it's been going for how many, what, 36 years or whatever it is that it's, it's um, 35, I don't know how many years it's yes, been on, actually. Yes, that but around something. that, it's around that. And I think that is mind-blowingly not okay. 
You know, why can't I be Fontaine? Why can't I be Glinda? Why can't I be Satine in Moulin Rouge? Why can't I be... I don't know. I could I, I could list all the shows there, you know? It's, Christine um, and Phantom. Yeah, why can't I be Christine and Phantom? I can sing it, but I mean, I don't look like a ballet dancer. So that... <laughs> I can't pass as a ballet dancer. She's supposed to be that. So that I understand. <laughs> okay, we'll let, we'll let Phantom off for now. You know? <laughs> Until Carlotta, though, come through. Yeah, give you it know, a few maybe, years. Yeah, give it a few years and I'll be there as Carlotta. <laughs> but meanwhile, at the Apollo Theatre and Jamie, that is a show which has embraced diversity oh. and representation yeah um and i did an amazing interview before lockdown in noah's dressing room with him and with heber oh, and we had yes. such a fun conversation but also a really important one and and heber was talking about how she was the first muslim to pay to play pretty and how yeah. that was so important and the responses that she was having from other girls um and also uh, noah was saying other people of color kind of talking stopping on the stage door and yeah. having a really amazing conversation and I mean that is a show where we see all different people and even people of different sizes and etc have just taken yeah, on different and roles. ages and everything yeah. I don't think um I don't think our, our show gets enough credit for how representative it is even when I auditioned for it when I got the audition through for a I was like I'm not right for this I'm never going to be cast the two women that played my part before me are in their 50s yeah. They're over 20 years older than me. I was like, why am I going in for this? But I was like, I'll go in anyway. And then I got the part from one audition. And one I was audition? Like, you didn't have to go through audition. 25 rounds. No, no. Uh, it's because it wasn't a cattle call. You know, it wasn't a five minute in and out. You know, we sat down, we had a chat. We spoke about me and my life. Um, and we spoke about the piece. Um, and then I did the scenes and sang the song. So it's actually, you don't need to do seven rounds for a musical if you spend 15 minutes with the, per the person in round one. I honestly believe that. Um, but, you know, they were open-minded about the character and they were like, she's not restricted by age. Age is not relevant. Her age is not relevant to the story. Um, it's more an energy that she gives off and a maturity that she gives off um, and her attitude um, that is important. And that's something that they felt I have. And then I got cast as that part. And I think that's amazing that you can have somebody in their 50s play that role and then someone in their 30s play it. Mm, which is amazing. And also, it's the first time I would, I'd been cast in a play or a musical that I was cast as a character who wasn't... Basically, I wasn't cast because I was Indian. I know that they like to cast Ray. Um, as, as, as a British Asian. So that is the preference, but it's not a necessity. My covers are white uh, and black. Um, and I think that is really important that that is reflected because, you know, it's important for Pretty, for Heba's character, that she is of a certain ethnic background. Um, but for Ray, it's not. And I think it's amazing that we have those two representations. And my hope for the industry and my hope for me personally moving forward is is to be cast regardless of of my race mm. you know and actually doing brooklyn in this time i was like actually that's that's another that's the second time that i have been cast 
in in a piece where my my race isn't relevant yeah. and it's taken me 10 years to get to that point um but i think jamie is is great at, you know how important is it to have a character singing a ballad in a hijab on a west end stage like that is iconic yeah iconic um and i think also to have a show that really embraces and tells us the story of what 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 drag means the drag queens aren't just there you know to give it tits and teeth you know with 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 the character hugo you really learn what that process is and what it means so i think i think our show is really beautiful in in that sense Mm. I've come every year when I've had from its kind of first press night. Then every year, I love Jamie always has like a birthday gala or something along those lines. Yeah. I've come to see it like every year on its birthday, and every time it's felt so fresh. It's had a different energy, a different vibe, and things have been switched up, and just things feel like they are developing and growing, and there is a different vibe, and and that's really unusual for a West End show. And it's interesting you say you don't think it receives enough praise or, re- or recognition for what it does in terms of how diverse it is, but I think it's almost because they're not making a big fuss about it it's just kind of proof that if you just get amazing people you can just make it work without having to sell it on that or to throw that in people's faces so in some ways it's a it's a gift as well because people probably don't even realize why it's so good and feels so fresh but actually it's just amazing people telling a really important story in a really beautiful way yeah absolutely and it like i couldn't have said it better myself (laughs) boom (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm so excited to have it back. I mean, quickly, tell me about Brooklyn because I it was it was so exciting to see Brooklyn. It's so amazing, actually, now. We've been in this time for a year, so a year of digital content and streamed stuff. To see Brooklyn, for me, was kind of slapping me in the face with how far we have come in terms of filming and yes. the, the choices and the technology and the strategies that we have to create this content. It was pretty mind-blowing. And also, for a show like Brooklyn, it really... Um, Doing it in this way, I thought, you know, it's quite a, a complicated piece in terms of the story and the concepts in some ways. So to yeah. see it like this, it, it was so clear and it was a vision and who you were seeing and who you would, it just, it, the piece, it was really complimented, you know. We were seeing a musical in a different way because it was presented in this really clever way. Mm. Um, so what was it like to, to go in and work with that incredible team? I mean, Marisha and Emma, I mean, just amazing, wonderful people. Do you know what? I actually think there was something really magical about it. Um, and it was wonderful because Marisha and Emma are both, you know, two of my very, very good friends. Um, and I know them both from doing concerts over the years. Um, Marisha, was that your Devolution concert, right? She yeah, she was our guest. She was our guest on that. And, you know, That's Marisha spent, Marisha spent Christmas with me, um, <gasps> 20, 2019, yeah, Christmas 2019. She was at my flat for Christmas. Um, and Emma's a really good pal. So it was nice to actually, do a show with them because often you do a show and then you make friends with people whereas for us it was like the other way around we were already friends but then we got to work together which was amazing um and jamie i know from bend it you know so that was amazing to like reconnect with him after like five six years and like where his career's gone in that time is amazing 
and Nushin, I had never met before, but just by pure chance, he had, um, there was a Rogue Symphony, Rogue Symphony was the, the group I mentioned who I did those hip hop gigs with. Yeah. And a few years ago, they were doing a La La, the music of La La Land. And I was so gutted that I wasn't available for the gig because I had a devolution gig. So I like gave them some names for like a male and female singer. And the people that I suggested weren't available, but then they got Nushin to do this gig. So even though I've never met him, I have this like weird link with him as well. But I just feel like it was of just this like magical marriage of us five performers on that show. And then the creative team just getting this piece together. Like Brooklyn isn't put on very often. So I think the fact that we got to do it was really lucky and amazing anyway. And I mean, this is just my opinion, but I actually think for me, we made more, we made sense of the narrative work for screen to the point where I actually think it, it read better on screen than it does on stage. I do actually kind of agree with that entirely. Because it's a play within a play, often in a theatre setting that, it's it's really hard to make that not look like a GCSE drama piece. Whereas, do you know what I mean? Whereas with, um, not that productions of Brooklyn have ever been that, that's not what I'm saying, but I just, the concept of a play within a play has a, has a very black box. I, I understood it far more clearly seeing it in, in, in your production than I had done previously. Yeah, because you have, you know, you're blessed with having... Um, on camera, you can use different locations. You can use different outfits. You're not telling it in, in real time. So I think that really worked for the piece. And I honestly think they couldn't have cast it better. I was like, even as we were doing it, I was like, this is some of the best live vocals that one will ever hear. Um, and we did it. We filmed that in three days. And it was so cold. I can't tell you. You could see our breath. You could see our breath yeah. on screen. Um, and also because of our, our director, Dean, was on the Steadicam. Right. Um, and so a lot of those shots are really long. It's all done in one shot, which meant that if we did something wrong, we had to start again. But because we only had three days, as soon as we did one take, that was we all did it correctly. We'd move on. Wow. So it was it was very much like we were filming a TV show or a film. Do you know what I mean? There was it, it, it was very much being on set. Um, and you had to come knowing your shit. You had to come knowing what your choices were because there was no doing it over. As soon as it was captured on camera, move on. Um, and that was nerve wracking because vocally I was like, we've done one take. Okay, that's what it is. Um, so I didn't know how it was going to sound. I didn't know how it was going to look. Um, and, you know, we weren't filming chronologically. We were filming by via set. Mm. Um, so actually, it was a really, really nice marriage of kind of screen and theatre in that sense. Mm, that's really, really cool. Um, finally, what's, um, what's getting you excited now? What are the things that, you know, what's making you hungry? What's making you kind of be like, right, I mean, we've, we've kind of covered it a lot, but as we kind of go back, what's getting you fired up? What's getting you excited? What are you wanting to do? What's happening? What's the, what's the sitch? How are you feeling about it? I think I, I'm excited. I'm, I'm feeling positive about this year. And again, I think I'm in, I'm in a really, really lucky position, which the vast majority of actors aren't in that I have a job to go back to. And I think it's, and, and for me, it's, you know, it's a short contract. I'm only going to be doing it until the end of August. Right. Um, and I think that will be 
that will be the perfect amount of time for me because I'd already done the show for a year. So I'm going to go back, have a taster, just enjoy it and go out with a bang for me. And then I'm excited for what the possibilities of what could come after. I'm really, really um, pushing for more TV work. Um, I love acting and I love acting on screen. So that is something that I'm excited about because I feel like my career is like yet to begin in that field. Um, so that's something I'm really looking forward to pushing. Um, and in terms of theatre, I think even when going into Jamie, I, I, I know what the industry has looked like for the past 10 years. And I know what my experience has been. And I was like, I must savour this because it could be another four or five years like it was after Bendit before I'm in a musical again. Um, but what I'm excited about is seeing how things change in a positive way coming out of this year you know hopefully I'll start getting more these more auditions which I've never never been never had before you know even actually in this past year I've had a couple of auditions where I've been seen for the romantic lead and that's never been an option for me um so I'm just I'm I'm excited to try and be a part of the change mm. That needs Absolutely. to come. Absolutely. And I'd, I'd, I'd love to do a play as well. It's been, you know, it's been about two, three years since I've done a play. So um, I'm kind of eager to kind of get that that side of me going as well. Because it because I do so much of the music side on my own and I have a control over that, I feel like I, I, I can fulfil the musical side of me and, and the singing side myself. Whereas the acting side for me, I, you know, I don't, I don't sit at home and do a monologue with the girls and put that on Instagram or put on a concert or, or you know, hire a venue to, to put on Shakespeare for people to come and watch. <laughs> That's not something that I quite feel is, is something that I can do on my own. Whereas I feel like I can absolutely scratch that, that the vocal itch. Mm. Um, Whereas I think what I'm looking forward to in terms of the industry is kind of progressing my acting career. Mm, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Can I just say the biggest thank you? Oh, my goodness. This has been an amazing hour of just boom, 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 boom. We've been firing off in all directions. I know. I feel like I've just been monologuing for an hour. I'm so sorry. <laughs> See, maybe you should reconsider that. Doing You could easily do monologues for an hour. <laughs> the other palace next time <laughs> give it um give it like what's her face in friends chapter one my first period <laughs> you would be it'd be the easiest thing ever <laughs> you to, I mean, to, be, to be fair when you come to a devolution show yes you're getting vocals but you are also getting stand-up if i'm being that um, and I'm not giving you a humble brag there. Like that is the comment that I get most after a devolution gig, and even after I did my solo gig at the, at the Palace last year. The thing is, almost like my friends are surprised that I'm funny. <laughs> what do you mean? What are you not hilarious on day to day? No, I think I am, but no, but it's a, you know, it's it's those friends I guess that don't see me all the time. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think it's because like, especially with devolution and, and me and Laura particularly, you know, our our kind of our chat style is so conversational and so like self deprecating um, that I think unless you know us really well, you just don't expect it in a in a in a professional setting. I think yeah. people think that we will be a bit more performative. Um. 
but you know at my own shows and and with devolution what you are getting is monologues and stand-up as well as some light belting so <laughs> light not just light there's some heavy belting <laughs> <laughs> not light but let's not let's i the people need to know what to expect um no. see oh. we do it all don't box us no absolutely no absolutely <laughs> absolutely but no thank you so much it's incredible to hear some of your different stories and experiences and i think it's actually really exciting to think about what's to come and the doors that are opening that should never have been shut in the first place but the direction that we are going in um yeah. and i hope you have a really wonderful final few months in jamie i cannot wait to be there and see the show again and to see you all up there i know thank you so much thank you for always being so supportive andrew and can't wait to see you at jamie and yes. whatever else there is to come <laughs> see you see you there thank you so much Central. bye Thank you so much to Sedgel for recording this episode of In The Frame. If you're able to, make sure you go and catch her back in the West End and Jamie. I'm so excited to go. I cannot wait. Cannot wait. If you enjoy this episode of In The Frame, hit that subscribe button and make sure you leave us an Apple podcast rating and review. You can follow Western Frame on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and I'll be back next week with another incredible guest. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>